It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and welcome to Gina Gardner and Friends. I'm Gina Gardner, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to introduce to you Darren Wells. Our theme today is a difficult one dealing with grief, and I know many of you who are listening will have experienced the deep pain that grief can bring. But actually, it's not just about dealing with grief, it's about how you can make that into something more positive. I know from my own experience of dealing with grief that at times it can feel totally overwhelming, but Darren's gonna share with us an amazing story. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. I think the best thing to do is to ask you to share your story. You know, how comes that you become a playwright, an author, a filmmaker? That, the that sounds so that sounds incredibly glamorous. It does. Um, so thank you. Uh, so I'm really bad at relationships. Um, I've had a few of them but I find them really difficult. And no disrespect meant here, Gina, but I find women quite difficult generally. Um, so a few years ago now, I was going out with this girl. Uh, we were going out with each other for about three or four years. Things were going really well. We got engaged and all of that stuff. But her behaviour over a period of time became increasingly erratic. Right. And it caused us to split up. A week later, she rang me back and she said, look, can we try and sort this out? I've booked us to go on a holiday. I hope you're not going to let me down. I hope you'll come with me. I'm a bit of a softie and a bit of an old romantic. So I thought, OK, we can do that. I'll go on holiday. We went on holiday. We, we had a wonderful holiday, really lovely time. We seemed to get on really well. We came back on the Friday. I saw a Saturday. I saw a Sunday. She was fine. The Monday morning when we were supposed to go back to work, I had a phone call from her work late morning saying she hadn't gone in and had she overslept or whatever it was. Now, her sleep had always been quite poor and she was given sleeping tablets by the doctors. And I assumed that she'd taken a sleeping tablet and that had meant she'd overslept. 
So I went round to her flat and I found that she died in her sleep overnight. Goodness. I found the body, which looking back on, I was actually really glad that I did because I would have hated that to have been found by someone else. Um, but it transpired that she had epilepsy and she didn't know she had it. And what was happening was every night she was getting poor sleep because she was having these tiny epileptic fits in her sleep. And that was causing her sleep to be disturbed. And as a result of that, it meant that she was never getting good night sleeps. Right. So I never wanted to be that. So everyone was very sympathetic and very sorry. And I get that completely. But over time, I never wanted to be that person that people avoided because they didn't know what to yeah. say. Or that person who I realised everyone thinks that when you lose someone you love, that you get superhuman hearing because everyone whispers at you and your neck muscles become very lax because everyone turns their head to one side when they're talking to you. And I was sick of people asking me how I felt. So I thought this girl was really tiny, but she had this massive personality. So I would write a book and I would write it as a work of fiction, but very much explaining how I felt and allowing people to understand that process a little bit more. So I wrote this book. I wrote it in the third person because um, I didn't feel I was strong enough to really write about how I felt. And I gave it to my best friend and he read it and he said, oh, this is really good. You ought to try and get it published. And I kind of went, no one's going to want to buy a book about a girl who buys handbags and gets drunk at weekends. Um, but unbeknown to me, he sent it off to a publisher's. And the first I knew about it was when I had a, an offer back from a publisher to publisher. Goodness me. Well, I always, one of the standing jokes in my life was I always wanted to be a writer and I wanted to write either romances or thrillers. And my life was neither thrilling or romantic, so it was never going to happen. <laughs> so I was really flattered that someone actually liked it enough to publish it. Then I met my now wife, fell madly in love from day one, adore her, woke up about six or seven years ago and said to her, I've got a great idea. I'm going to write, a, write it into a film. My wife's forever the practical one. And she went, but you can't write scripts. That was red rag to a bull. Fast forward to today, the book has now been written in the first person and the film is due to start filming later this year. And I've been approached now by a playwright who loves the story and wants to turn it into a play. And I'm working with him on that as well. That's amazing. I want to talk to you about grief in itself. Yes. Um, because I think for so many people, that when somebody is bereaved, and that's only one sort of grief, I think there's a grief when you lose perhaps your job or you lose yes. a friend. But let's talk for a moment about the grief that comes with bereavement. And I know of several people who, who because they don't know what to say, they say nothing. Yes. And I can remember a, a, a very close friend of mine, her father died very suddenly. She was a teacher. She had a week off from school. In those days, the funerals seemed to happen much more quickly than they do these days. And when she went back to school, nobody mentioned it. And she said it felt as if it negated the 
who her father was. It was as if he'd never happened. Yes. And she felt unable to talk about it and unable to express how she felt because there was this vacuum. And, you know, I've often talked, uh, many of my clients have come to me because they're struggling with grief. And it always seems to me that that those on the outside, if you don't know what to say, then simply say, I don't know what to say. There aren't words that feel right. I just want you to know that I care. And I think that when people can do that, they at least open the door to that other person feeling that, that their grief is validated and that somebody there actually uh, values their experience. But I think there's another side to it as well, which is that, and this is going to sound really sexist, I don't mean it to, but I think as a man, and I'm six foot tall and on the face of it, kind of quite sporty and all that sort of stuff, people expect you to deal with it. Yeah. They don't expect you to be able to articulate how you feel and they feel really awkward if you then fall apart in front of them. Oh, that's very true. But I think we're talking about two very different things. I think the expectation, people's expectation of the bereaved person is one thing, and I think you're quite right. Men, particularly in the UK, are supposed to be stoic and, and stiff up a lip. But I was talking very specifically about people on the outside's reaction to those who've been bereaved. And it doesn't But don't you think that there's a there's a link there in that people don't want to open that Pandora's box? Oh, I'm sure you're right. So absolutely sure. As a result, they don't say anything, not only because they don't know what to say, but even if they've got that moment where they do know what to say, they don't want that person opposite them to fall apart breakdown and all that stuff because then they would have to deal with that no yeah. I absolutely accept uh, what you're saying there and I think you know one of the the other challenges about such a difficult situation particularly if it's a sudden death although I've been in a situation where you know somebody's um uh dying has been very well um documented and waited you know just waiting for it to happen and also sudden death my brother suddenly dropped dead at the age of 49 on a uh, cycling getting ready for the uh, London to Brighton cycle race and whether you're expecting it or not it still comes as a shock at the end yes. but I do think there's a different dynamic when it comes completely out of the blue yes I think it's almost so massive, people can't get their head around it. Yeah. So it's like a really hard maths problem. It's too difficult, so they don't deal with it at all. No. We're going to go for a short break now. When okay. we come back, I think this is such an important um, topic. I'd like to explore how we as a society deal with grief and how um, we become uh, distant from the whole business of people leaving us in that way. Okay. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Meet Rajat. He started his class's WhatsApp group and became super popular. Yeah, I was always popular. Huh? Timetable changes. Celebrating class cancellations. Rehearsal updates. Sharing notes. Farewells. Crying over surprise tests. Everything happens on the group. 
Rajat may be the admin, but he's never really had to act like one. Except today. Are you really sure that this is true? No, man. It was a forward, so I no, thought. Rajat patiently right? explained that such messages could create tension and turn people against each other. I mean, it's dangerous. Please don't do this again, yeah. Or else I'll have to remove you from the group. Come, let's go get some dosa. And then Come. it was time for the college fest, yeah. Be like Rajat. Share joy, not rumors. Uh, Miss Stevens, I just wiped malware off our system. Uh, people have got to stop clicking unsolicited email links and downloading free software unless it's from a trusted source. Sounds great. We need a data backup plan in a separate location in case we get hacked. We need to focus on making profits, not spending them. Learn to protect yourself from ransomware. If you become a victim, contact your local FBI office. Welcome back. So we've been talking, uh, Darren Wells and I, about dealing with grief and looking for opportunities to make something positive out of it. And I wanted to explore with Darren how we as a society deal with death. If you go back not that many years ago, death was very much a part of living because it was very common for babies to die and mothers to die in childbirth, that unless you were five pounds when you were born, the chances are you wouldn't survive an English winter, that there was so many diseases, accidents and wars where people um, died and were very often laid out on the dining room table. And it was very much a part of our daily life. And I, my belief, and you may just completely disagree with me, Darren, is that it's all become very clinical and very removed from daily living. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you, but I've probably got a slightly different slant on it. I think from my point of view, we've almost become desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. I think what we've what with TV programs, films, things like that, you know, that there's a lot of them out there that deal with it. They don't have the emotion. So people have almost become brainwashed that when you see it going on on TV or in a film, that's the correct way to deal with it. And it becomes a, a subconscious way of dealing with it. So rather than, I use this term quite loosely, but rather than being a grown up about it and actually having a proper conversation, we don't, and we almost go into that spectator mode. So we're not part of it. We're yeah. actually watching it going on. And that means we can then detach ourselves from the emotion of the situation. I think there's a lot of truth in that. But, you know, one of the things that strikes me is how many people avoid creating their will. Because if I talk about a will, then I'm talking about my death and I don't want talk about that yes that will make it real um or asking people their wishes you know when people do die uh how would they like um to be treated do they want to be buried or cremated do they want to um to be in a a, a natural surrounding um then when someone dies you have the problem of thinking well what am I going to do? How am I going to manage this? Because you don't know what they wanted. No, absolutely. And funnily enough, there's a, 
there's a comment in my book where they're talking about death and the main male character says, I never said that she died because then I would have to face the fact she actually had. So it's always she's gone or those kind of very generic comments. We use so many passed over. Yes. Past, departed. But rather than using this D word, um, and I'm I'm hoping that with the book and and people will relate to it. There's There's a passage in the book where he goes to see her in the Chapel of Rest. Yes. And there's this comment that he makes where he says she's like Michelangelo Beautiful because she's perfect at that moment. And I want to try and get across this idea that people are here for such a short period of time. We need to cherish them when they are. Absolutely. Because we never know what's around the corner. And it's awful to then look back and regret the fact they're not there anymore. I couldn't agree with you more. And for me, the gift, uh, if I use my brother's death as an example, because that was so out of the blue and he was such a vibrant, big personality that one moment he was here and the next he wasn't. And I had to make sense of that. And for me, there were certain gifts that came out of it. And my brother, unusually for a man, I think, and I maybe that's a generalisation, was really good at keeping in touch. And it would often just be a text which says, love you, or thinking of you, or just D and a cross, because his name was David. Um, but you knew that he was thinking of you. Yes. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the first gift was, you know, value the relationships in your life. Tell people that you love them or that you appreciate them or that you care about them and recognise actually, you know, that relationship, whether it's a professional one or a personal one, is very precious. And, you know, valuing it and telling people that you value it has so much richness for both parties my mum died a few years ago and um, my dad's quite frail. And so it was me that went to see her. To I, You have to formally identify the yes. body. She died in hospital. So it's me that went to do that. And looking back now, every time I saw her, I always gave her a kiss and told her I loved her. Yes. And I, I've beaten myself up for the last few years about could I have done more, made sure she was okay, but actually, the reality is, and my wife's very wise with this, says there's nothing more you could have done. But I think it's very easy to get sucked into that reproach. Yes. But I think the important thing is to take the positives out of the relationship. And, and I always liken people as being a bit like Lego figures in that they don't kind of grow evenly. They, they grow with bolts on. Yeah. And I think... It's really nice to think that without my mum, without my girlfriend, I wouldn't have a wonderful wife and wonderful children and two slightly crazy, wonderful dogs now. But they've all kind of got me to this point. And I think it's really important that we cherish the people when they're here. And then when they're not here anymore, we don't spend our time feeling grief-stricken and paralysed emotionally, you have to move on. You have to 
take all the positives out of those people that have enriched your life. Yeah. Learn from them and then take them on as you move forward to the next part of your life. I think that's really sound advice. I'm reminded of a client that um, that I worked with who, um, when she was eight and a half months pregnant, um, her husband had gone to the, the house. They were living with her parents at the time to finish the nursery. They were renovating the house and he didn't come back for lunch. And when she went to find him, she found that he had had a, a terrible heart attack and he died. And this was about 18 months on and she came to me because she was completely and utterly paralysed by that grief. And I can understand it, you know, you know, having to deliver a baby two or three weeks after your husband has died and that life together that she was grieving not only for her husband, but the life that they had dreamed of and planned. Of course. And there were two things that she reported back to me that really helped. And one of them was to, I asked her the question, what would Ash, and that was her husband's name, what would Ash want for you? Would he want you to be living in this hell of, of, of blackness? Um, and she got quite cross with me and said, well, no, of course he wouldn't. And I said, well, ultimately, if you're not doing it for yourself, you need to do it for your son, but also just think about what Ash would want for you. And I think particularly people who care about you, they don't want you to stay in that blackness. They want you to get on and to live. Life is for living. But the other thing that helped her is, you know, when you tune into a radio, you've tuned into this radio station or you're on an app, you know that other radio stations exist. So let's use the UK one. You might be listening to Radio 4, but you know that Radio 1, 2, 3 um, exist. And if you imagine tuning in to another wavelength, then you will be able to hear the loved one's voice and what they would say to you in any given situation. It's really funny you should say that because there's a comment um, in the book where we were at the funeral and I had to give a speech, you know, get up and, and do a eulogy. And that was really tough, but I, I knew I had to do that. Yeah. Um, and I re always remember that after I'd given my speech, the vicar said to me or said to everyone, um, you've got to imagine that person is on a boat and they've just sailed out of sight of you. Yes. But they've gone on to the next journey. And I think at that point it was very raw. And my view was, but I don't want them to be visiting someone else in a boat I want them to still be here with me but I think over time it makes sense and I think it's really easy to get so caught up in you in that people-centered grief yeah. you fail to see that idea that this person's made me a better person and I'm going to take that on yeah. when I talk to other people I think that's a really great point. We've got to go to a short break now. Okay. 
There's, there's so much more to talk about. We'll be back in a moment. Over the years, buying gift cards for loved ones has grown in popularity. Unfortunately, it's also become popular with scammers. You may get a call or an email from somebody pretending to be a family member in distress or even the IRS. The scammer will ask you to go to purchase a gift card, often in the thousands of dollars. He'll then ask you for the number on the back of the card. And if you don't give it to him, will threaten your family members, may even threaten you with jail time. You can contact the Consumer Protection Division of your State Attorney General's office and they can help you determine whether you are being scammed. These gift cards can only be used to buy products and services from the issuing retailer. They cannot be used to pay bail, your taxes, or court fines. If you receive a call or email asking for payment by gift card, know that this is a scam. Help spread the word. Help stop the scam. Welcome back. We're now in the last a few minutes of the show, and this is a, a, a topic that we could talk about for endlessly. I'll um, come on weekly and we'll have this chat. Then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so one of, there are other gifts, I think, that come from, um, from having a bereavement, appreciating your life and living that life, because life is for living. Um, and you know, looking after your health. And one of the sad things about David is he had a, a congenital condition that he didn't know he had. And he kept on threatening to go and have a checkup because he was getting a bit breathless. And he'd been told it was asthma. But if he'd gone and had a proper checkup, there was a simple treatment that could have solved it. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you are worried about your health, please don't put it off you know, recognize that your loved ones want you there and you need to value your health and do everything that you can to ensure that you're there for a long time. And that includes your lifestyle. Um, and, you know, life is for living. And one of the things that I've noticed, um, I've worked with many people who are on a, a, an end of life path. And what you recognize is that they value every moment of every day. Absolutely. And I think we should all do that. Live each day as if it's your last is, is really good advice. But I want to spend a bit of time, the name of your book, because I think it's important that people have uh, know that they can have access to that book. So it's called Blue as the Sky. And it's called that because um, when it was the, the wake after the funeral, um, one of her friends came up to me and they said, oh, she was beautiful. And I said, yes, she was. And they said, oh, my God, her eyes, they were as blue as the sky. And it was one of those comments that resonated with me. And I'm a little bit of a music geek, so I'm going to, going to have to apologise for what I'm about to say. So there's a song by George Michael called A Different Corner. Okay. And normally with songs, the chorus is the title of the song. Yeah. But this was one line in the song where he says about turning a different corner. And I loved the idea that you would call the book rather than describe what the book was about you just take an isolated phrase and use that as the title of the book and everyone seems to like it so we've ended up calling the film that and the play brilliant now tell us a bit more about the film I mean that we've just got a couple of minutes so you're gonna okay. quite, uh, quite this will be really quick so the book is boy meets girl girl dies boy falls apart boy puts life back together again Yep. The film couldn't take the whole story. So the film is the basic same journey, but a different A to B. But they still get to B at the end. 
and the play is completely different again. So all three of them have the same basic structure, but by doing that, it avoids that criticism where you've read a book and go and see the film and you go, oh, the book's not like the film. But presumably the central tenant of each one. Yes, absolutely. It's all about grief and how we deal with it and watching this person who's socially inept and a little bit awkward be marginally less inept and a little bit less awkward by the end. I would suggest that anybody who is um, at the moment experiencing grief, it would be a great book to read because out of such grief, some amazing things have happened to you. Yes, and I'm so blessed by the fact people seem to like it. Accidentally, I appear to be okay at this. So if anyone wants a copy of the book, which is about to be re-released in the first person, if they, if, if you're all right with this, Gina, if they get in touch with you and you pass their details on to me, I will happily sort of point them in the right direction. Absolutely. If they'd like to email me at Gina, G-I-N-A, at genuinely hyphen you, that's G-E-N-U-I-N-E-L-Y hyphen Y-O-U, then I'll very happily pass that on. Thank you so much. It just remains for me to say a huge thank you. It's a difficult subject and I think it's one of those subjects that needs to be aired and people need to actually have that conversation, not only in terms of the show, but also with their loved ones. So thank you very much. Can I just say one very quick thing, Gina? Absolutely. If anyone out there wants to get involved, there is still some ways they can actually physically get involved in the production of the project. I will give you my email address. So it's blueasthesky2018 at gmail.com. And remember, my email is gina at genuine-u.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and please tune in to the next one. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at gina at genuinely-u.com.